Listening to the Bellator Christie podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Uh, started. Want to let everybody know. Want to thank Hal and Janet. They got uh, got us some extra pillows. If anyone needs any extra pillows, I think there are like three or four up here on the second pew to my left. So if you need those, they're available to you as well. We've been uh, going through a series, as you know, uh, named after C.S. Lewis's great book, Mere Christianity. We've been looking at the fundamentals of the Christian faith, and this is our fifth, fifth message into this study. Thus far we've seen, and let me just say, we've, we've noted that some things in Christianity we have the liberty to disagree on certain things, but these things comprise the most fundamental attributes of our Christian faith. These things are things that we must, be, must find agreement, otherwise we may find ourselves outside the scope of Christianity. And thus far we've noted already that in our first message that God is exclusive, there's only one God, that he is uh, eternal, that he's transcendent beyond the scope of this creation, but he's also personal, working within creation. We've also noted the identity of Jesus as being 100% God and 100% human. To say otherwise, we find ourselves outside the scope and boundaries of Orthodox Christianity. We also see the, seen that the incarnation was absolutely vital as Jesus' death was sufficient so that the world could be saved, but efficient so that those who receive Christ would be saved. We see also, we've seen also last week that Jesus literally and physically rose from the dead on the first Easter Sunday. It was not a ghost that they saw. They didn't need to call ghostbusters or anything like that. It wasn't a phantom. It was the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, I've been reading... Uh, this past, just yesterday, that uh, one scholar has stated that uh, Jesus' resurrection can historically be proven upwards of 97% certainty. 97% certainty, which means you only need 3% faith to believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? 97% uh, historically certain that Jesus literally rose from the dead. Well, today we want to talk about one of those tricky topics uh, because it's kind of hard to, to imagine or wrap our minds around this concept. But today we want to talk about the triune nature of God. Jesus tells us in the Great Commission that when we baptize, we are to baptize in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. 
The Bible tells us several times and on several different occasions that there is one God, but there are three persons. Now, people will say, well, Brian, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Well, true, but the word Bible is not in the Bible either. And so I believe in the Bible we have one. The word, so the most important aspect is, does the Bible teach the triune nature of God? Well, today we want to read a couple of passages of Scripture that I submit to you that definitively teaches that there is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. As we look at the baptism of Jesus in Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17, and also in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. So we encourage, invite all of you to please stand to pay homage to the reading and hearing of God's precious holy word. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17 is where we begin. And then we will also flip over to the book of, Galatia, uh, book of Ephesians, excuse me, uh, chapter 1, reading verses 11 through 14. Let's first read the, about the baptism of Jesus Christ. Verse 13. Bear with me with this cold. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. Now here you see Jesus, okay? Jesus is coming up out of the water. And behold, the heavens were opened were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. Jesus is being baptized. He comes out. The Spirit of God comes down, descends like a dove. And suddenly, verse 17, a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So there you see the voice of the Father from heaven, the Son being baptized, and the Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove. Let's turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. And when you're there, let me hear you say amen. In him, meaning Christ, in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in Christ should be the praise of his glory. Now, you see the work of the Father, the pre-planning of the Father. We see Christ, in him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. There's the third person. You see the plan of the Father, the, the, the accomplishment of the Son, and you see you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to call upon your name. And Lord, today as I am uh, battling with this uh, cold, we just ask that you would just simply speak through this vessel of flesh, Lord, to speak your eternal truths. We, Lord, ask and invite you, Lord, through your Holy Spirit to apply the messages that we have before us today to enlighten our minds, Lord, to transform our thinking to, to, to that of Christ. So, Lord, we ask that you would allow me to speak the words that need to be spoken. And in and through it all, we ask that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that we would apply these truths and be better for it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. 
I read a story this past week of, uh, of, of a monastery uh, in somewhere up in the high mountains of Europe. And this monastery was so exclusive that the only way you could get up to this monastery was to ride in this little basket. They had this little basket and they had these ropes that where the monks would pull you up on this, through, this, through these ropes on this basket and let you, almost like an elevator, a human-governed uh, elevator, so to speak, and they would lift you up to the top of the monastery and you'd get off. Well, one particular lady, a tourist in the area, wanted to take a trip to this monastery and see this monastery. But as she was going up, she, her, she went up to dizzying heights and looked down at them in amazement of how both beautiful and, and, and fearsome this, this, this landscape was, that if she would fall, she would fall to her death. Well, she uh, happened to be riding with one of the monks in this monastery, and then she really became frightened because she looked up at the rope that was holding them and noticed that the rope had become greatly frayed and frazzled. And she was asking the monk, she said, uh, Sir, let me ask you a question. How often do you replace these ropes? He says, whenever they break. That's her clue we need to replace them. That did nothing for her nerves, needless to say. Uh, that did nothing for her nerves whatsoever. Uh, you know, a lot of times we find in life that things, you know, relationships, things that are supposed to operate together, don't. Don't, you know, don't we find that? Sometimes churches don't operate the way they're supposed to. Jared, I got to tell you the story. There's a pastor friend of mine told me that there was a church in the mountains that actually split over a controversy over toilet paper. I'm not making it up. There's a church that split over toilet paper. Another pastor said, well, they're definitely going down the toilet, and absolutely they are. But needless to say, I mean, churches sometimes divide over the craziest things. Families f fly apart. Uh, friendships uh, 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 fall apart. Many things in life, you know, the government, you know, certainly the government works together the way it should, right? <laughs> no, no, it don't, does it? You know, we look at all of these things and we think certainly all these things, you know, we don't see anything that seems to work together, but there is a relationship that is eternal. There is a relationship that has lasted from all eternity, and that's the relationship of the triune Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one, one in three, co-eternal. They have an internal relationship with one another. They have worked together for all eternity, and they will work together for all future eternity as well. Beloved, when we talk about the triune nature of God, a lot of times we try to, uh, to bring out certain illustrations. You may have heard the illustration of water, you know, being ice and liquid and, and gas, but that really doesn't quite do the trick. I mean, it really leads to a, another version of the Trinity that's outside the scope of the Bible. It's really difficult for us to explain this concept, but what we do know is that there is one God, there are three persons, and these three persons of the triune Godhead are in cooperation to bring your salvation to you, to allow you the opportunity to be saved. So this morning, in this very simple message, we want to just look at the roles of the triune Godhead. What did God the Father do in, to bring you salvation? What did God the Son do to bring you salvation? And what did God the Holy Spirit do to bring you salvation today? So number one, we encourage you to follow along in the insert of your bulletin if you'd like to do so. Number one, we see God the Father, the role of God the Father. And we're going to call Him the Source. We're going to call him the source. The Bible makes it clear that Jesus is eternal. The Holy Spirit is co-eternal with the Father. They have no beginning. They have no end. But we find in the Father that the Father who speaks from heaven, he says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. 
God speaks, noting his approval of the ministry of Jesus. In God, we see, we see the development, we see the plan of salvation. If it were not for the mind of God, then none of us would have the opportunity to be saved. If it were not for the, the ordination of God, if it were not for the planning of God, if it were not for the establishment of God the Father, then none of us would have the opportunity to be saved today. Number one, we see that the Father is a divine source. We see all throughout the Old and New Testament that God the Father is spoken of as being divine. I mean, you really don't have to look far to see that. You see that in the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1.1. We see God's personal name is Yahweh, which relates to the notion that God is self-sustaining. He's self-existing. You know, a lot of times we think that God created us because He needed us. But the Bible tells us that He didn't, really. That he didn't have to have us. He didn't have to create us. He didn't have to create any of this. But he did so of his own goodwill, of his own good pleasure, and of his own loving nature as well. He created you because he loved you. God is a God of love. He is, he is the only thing in existence that is self-sustaining, that is self-existent. He is the only one. The Bible also speaks of, of a person not being able to stand before the presence of God especially uh, in Judges uh, 13.22, that no one could see God the Father face to face and survive. The Father is the one who's called the Ancient of Days in Daniel uh, 7 verse 9, 13 and 22, and also in Micah 5.2. When Jesus prays though, despite the fact that God the Father is just so amazing, so incredible, when Jesus prays to the Father, he says, Our Father who art in heaven. Meaning that this Father who is high and lifted up, this Father who is amazing unlike anything we could ever even fathom, is personal and loves us with an everlasting love. Now understand, I had a wonderful treasure of having a great Father. He's here with us today. But sometimes, some of you may have had some bad fathers. And some of you, want to think, some of you may be inclined to think of God the Father as being like the Father you had. But let me tell you something. God the Father is like what a, God, a father is supposed to be. <laughs> he is the example of what a father is supposed to be. You may have had a father that wasn't very loving, but I want to tell you God the Father loves you with an everlasting love. You may have had a father who was non-existent in your life, a deadbeat dad, but that's not what God the Father is. God the Father is a Father who loves you and who's, who cares about every intricate detail of your life. That's the Father of the Bible. That's God the Father we see. Hallowed be thy name, Jesus prays. God is the divine source of all things. So when we stop to think about the meaning of life, we must include the God, God the Father in that equation. When we think of salvation, we have to include God the Father in that because if it were not for God the Father then you and I wouldn't be able to be saved. The Father is not only the divine source, He is the saving source. Now let me just say this before we get into this. He is, the, he is the source of our salvation. He is the one who planned the opportunity for us to come to salvation. He's the one who foreordained that Jesus the Son would come and die for our sins. That's all the working of the Father. Now a lot of times... We may, we may see some planners and, and things like this and have bad experience with certain plans. I've told many people <coughs> before, and this is going to sound really weird, that I, in ministry, due to the, some circumstances I've encountered, I had much rather officiate a funeral than a wedding. Now, I know that sounds weird. <laughs> Brother Jared shaking his head. <laughs> and Brother Jared, I don't know if it's your, if your experience, but my experience 
It hasn't been a problem with the bride and the groom. It hasn't even been a problem with the location or anything like that. It's those pesky wedding planners. Amen? <laughs> those I had one wedding one time I officiated where there were three. There was the one who was supposed to be the wedding planner, and she gave the position to another wedding planner who gave it to a third wedding planner who became the Joseph Stalin of all wedding planners. I remember sitting up there in rehearsal and we were going over some things and she looked at me and said, you don't have to go over the whole thing. I know this is ugly, but I wanted to officiate her wedding to the front end of the oncoming Mack truck after that was over. I mean, I, I, that was, you know, Lord give me patience, you know, but he, he tried. But needless to say, uh, needless to say, you know, we may have difficulties with some of our plans in life, but God the Father is a planner. God the Father is one who loves us with an everlasting love. In Ephesians 1.11, we find that the Father prepared an inheritance for us, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. In Romans 8, we see that those who He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that they might become the firstborn of many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He called. Those whom He called, He justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. This is the thing we need to understand. There's a lot of tricky things that get into there and a lot of you know, debates that I'm not going to even cover now. But the, the point of the matter is this, that God knew you before the foundation of the world. And God loved you with an everlasting love before the foundation of the world. And He chose that time, that point, to say, I'm going to share my love with such as one as you. And I'm going to send my son to die on their behalf so that they can come to me and, and have my Holy Spirit with them throughout their lives. And beloved, there's not a greater plan in all the world. There's not a plan that any wedding planner could ever come up with to match the wonderful plan that God the Father has made. And, and isn't that wonderful to know that your life is not a mistake? You may think that I'm a mistake. I have no purpose. You have a purpose. The Father has a plan for you. You have a reason for being here. And He loves you with an everlasting love. But that's not the end of the story. We're just getting started. What about God the Son? We see God the Father is the source. God the Son is the Savior. Whereas God the Father was the planner, the Son was the accomplisher of the Father's will. We see God the Son comes to the, to the River Jordan. He is baptized. And the Father says of the Son, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He took pleasure in His Son. He still does today. <coughs> we see that this, uh, the Son is the divine Savior. Now, I won't get too much into this because we've already discussed how Jesus, if you're going to understand who Jesus is, you have to understand that He is 100% God and He is 100% man. If you take away any side of that, you've lost Jesus. If you don't adhere to His divinity, you've lost Jesus. If you don't adhere to His humanity, you've lost Jesus. He is 100% God and He is 100% man. How is that possible? I don't know, but it's the truth and I believe it. Now the Father we see, the Son, I'm sorry, is the divine Savior. We see at least three times in the Gospels where the Father speaks from the portals of heaven, from the halls of heaven, and says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. The first time happens at the baptism of Jesus. We, see, we have seen that in Matthew 3.17. The second time was at the transfiguration of Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. 
Jesus was glorified with the grandeur of God, and we see uh, Elijah and Moses standing beside him. Elijah representing the prophets, Moses representing the law. Jesus was the fulfillment of the scriptures found in one person, Jesus Christ. And God says from the halls of heaven, This is my beloved Son saying to the disciples, Listen to him. You can read that in Mark 9, 7. The third time we see that Jesus is preaching and says to the Father, Glorify your name in John 12, 28. And the Father again speaks from heaven and says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The Father glorified the Son several times over. The Savior is the divine Savior. There can't be any other Saviors. He is the only one. He is the exclusive way to heaven. But we also see that the Son is the accomplishing Savior. He is the divine Savior, and He is the accomplishing Savior. He accomplished the work for our salvation. He accomplished what is necessary for your salvation. When Jesus died upon the cross, He said, It is finished. In the Greek, that's just one word. The word tetelestai, which is to say, It is accomplished. It has been done. It is finished. The work that Jesus did upon the cross accomplished the necessary task that needed to be done for you to be saved. You see, it took the Father planning the method of salvation and it took the Son accomplishing the means to salvation to allow you the opportunity to to call out Abba Father, call out to God the Father, to be able to approach the throne of heaven, the throne of grace because of what Jesus did on the cross for your sins. So we see God the Son is the Savior. And last, but certainly not least, we often don't talk a lot about the third person, but he's very important. That's God the Holy Spirit. It's God the Holy Spirit. And in the Holy Spirit, we see that he is the supplier. He is the supplier. Uh, if you take, if you, um, I read an article not long ago, uh, actually just a few days ago, we talk about millennials and, and how uh, the difficulties that some younger people are having staying in church and one of the things that it mentioned, <coughs> excuse me, was the, the need for relationships. The need for people to have relationships. And it's a critical thing, especially in our society, that we develop as a church good, long-lasting relationships among the family of God. And they said that in this, according to the research that they had done, that many people were leaving the church because they didn't find the relationship there that they were looking for. Now understand, when we look at God the Holy Spirit, we see just how personal God is. You see, God's not just a God who is high and lifted up, who is some mysterious God who's far off on a different plane that we can't ever uh, address and we can't ever speak to or or we can't ever uh, know. No, God is very personal. And He made Himself personal through, in and through the Holy Spirit. For salvation to occur... The Father played the role of the planner. The Son assumed the role of the accomplisher. And the Holy Spirit assumed the role of the supplier or the applier of salvation. In Ephesians 1 we read that with the Holy Spirit they were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So what do we know about the Holy Spirit's work? We know two things. Number one, the Spirit is a divine supplier. The Spirit of God is not a force. He is a person. The Spirit of God is not an it. He is a he. 
For instance, if you take a look at this, throughout the Bible we see several times over that God the Holy Spirit is addressed as a person. For instance, in the book of Acts, chapter 5, verses 3 through 4, you remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? Ananias and Sapphira, they were making a tithe to the church. But they lied about what they gave. They lied about how much money they put in. And uh, in the, in the, Peter gave them a, an opportunity to, to correct their, their, what they said. And, and they still went with their lie. And Peter said to them, he says, Do you not know why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied to men but to God. They didn't lie to an it. They lied to a he. They, it's hard to lie to the pulpit. I love you, pulpit. I mean, I mean, what's that going to do to the pulpit? It's an impersonal thing. You don't lie to something that's impersonal. You lie to something that's personal. God, the Holy Spirit, is a personal uh, a person. And the lie was personally committed against the Holy Spirit. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul states, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? dwells in you and 1 Corinthians 2 10 and 11 for the spirit of God searches everything even the depths of God for what person knows a man's thoughts except the spirit of a man which is in him so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God God the Holy Spirit is a person He's divine person. He is the person of God. He's the divine third person of the Holy Trinity. And think about this, folks. Think about this. This is absolutely amazing. The same person, the Holy Spirit, who hovered over the waters of creation in the book of Genesis we read about, the same Spirit that empowered Samson to have amazing strength, the same Spirit that filled the hearts and lives of the holy prophets, giving them wisdom and guidance and proclaiming the truth with boldness and conviction, is the same Spirit of God that rose Jesus from the dead. That same Spirit, church, lives within you. That same Spirit, church, lives within you. If you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit comes and abides in your heart and abides in your life. Now, folks, I understand life is difficult. But we need to hold on to that great truth that says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That means no matter what difficult tasks may lie in front of you, if you have the Holy Spirit, you can make it through. Amen? If God is for you... No man can be against you, amen? What weapon can be formed against you that will prosper if you have the Holy Spirit of God in your life, amen? Because you have the force of God in your life, the person of God in your life, in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is also an applying supplier. You see, God the Father made this plan. God the Son accomplished it. But it's through the Holy Spirit of God that He applies this salvation to each and every person when you call upon the name of Jesus. He comes in your life. It's through the Holy Spirit that He applies these truths to your life. He applies these things to you. He seals you, the Bible tells us. He is the guarantee of your inheritance. You know, a lot of times we have people, and I've done the same thing. You know, we mess up, we make a mistake, and we think, oh man, I don't know if I'm saved or not. 
You know the wonderful truth about it? You can know that you know that you know that you're born again. Because if you have the Holy Spirit living and abiding in your heart and life, that is the testimony of the salvation that God has given you. That's the seal of your redemption. You've been guaranteed salvation in and through the Holy Spirit of God. And I don't know about you, but that makes me happy to know that I can know. I don't have to guess or think if I'm born again. I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am saved because I have the testimony of the Holy Spirit of God in my life. And isn't that a wonderful thing to know? That the Holy Spirit, Jesus says in John 3, 5, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus later explains that God so loved the world, talking about the Father, that he gave his only Son, speaking of the Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, applied and provided by the Holy Spirit. You even see the triune nature of God in John 3.16, if you really think about it. The Spirit empowers us, we see in Acts chapter 2, verses 16 through 18. The Holy Spirit takes the salvific, uh, he, he reveals in Acts 1, 16. He unifies in Joel 2, 28, and he purifies in Matthew 3, 11. The Holy Spirit takes the salvific plan that God has established and he applies it to our lives. Now, a lot of times in life, I know we go through and we wonder, does anybody ever really hear us? Does anybody ever really listen anymore? That's a big question I have. You know, everybody's talking, 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 but do we ever really stop and listen? There was a guy who was on trial for a particular crime, and he, uh, he had a public defender appointed to him by the judge. And the man says, Your Honor, I, I'm, I'm requesting a new public defender today. This lawyer you've assigned me, he doesn't listen to me. He doesn't take this case seriously, and so I want you to appoint me a new lawyer. And the judge looks at the lawyer and says, Well, sir, what do you have to say for yourself? Sir, what do you have to say for yourself? Sir? And the lawyer says, Well, I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention. What were you saying? And so case closed, you know, the problem, you know, gave him a better lawyer, and the lawyer took care of it, you know, and defended him. You know, a lot of times in our lives, we, we feel the same way. We ask ourselves, does anybody really listen to us? Does anyone really care? Does anyone, is anyone really concerned about the things that I'm going through? Beloved, the great truth is, I can't promise to be there every moment. Brother Jared will testify, we pastors, we're only human. We can't be there every time something happens. But you know who can? God can. Through the precious Holy Spirit of God, He is with you every step of your life. He is a friend that is greater than any brother. He is a friend that is greater than any other person in your life. He knows you. He loves you. He is concerned about you. And through, through the triune Godhead, He has made a way for you to be saved. God the Father planned it. God the Son accomplished it. And God the Holy Spirit applies it to your life if you will receive Him as your Lord and Savior. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you here today. Do you have that promise and assurance that you've been born again? Do you have that indwelling Holy Spirit in your life? If you don't and you're not certain, let me encourage you to come down today and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. It'll be the best decision you've ever made in life. Would you come down? Maybe you have that knocking, you have that gnawing in your heart and your life even this morning and you're not sure. Understand that's the Holy Spirit of God pressing upon your heart, drawing you to that personal relationship that He wants to share with you in and through the Son. So if you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, won't you come and receive Him today? 
Maybe you're here today and you'd like to join the ministry of Huntsville Baptist Church. Whatever God is doing and saying in your heart, we just ask that you come and respond according to the Holy Spirit. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the blessings of life. We thank you and praise you for loving us as you do. You didn't have to make us, but you did. You didn't have to love us, but you did. You didn't have to save us, but you did. And not only that, you come in our lives through the Holy Spirit. You bless us, you keep us, you purify us, you unite us, and you make us into the image of Christ, your Son. And we just want to ask, Lord, that through the Holy Spirit, if there's someone here today that knows you not, that you won't allow them to leave here until they know you as God and Savior. We thank you for all that you do. We thank you for all that you continue to do. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. Would you please stand as we sing our final selection. all the time. Again, we want to remind everyone, I want to thank you first and foremost for being here today with The Bellator Christie Podcast is a production of bellatorchristie.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights are reserved. The views expressed by guests on the podcast are of those expressing them and may not represent those of the host Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The theme played on the podcast is the song Epic and is produced royalty-free by Bensound Studios, found at bensound.com. Visit bellatorchristie.com and subscribe by entering your email to receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox absolutely free. This podcast can also be found on several podcatchers, including iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We thank you for joining us today. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless and we'll see you next time as we enter into the arena of ideas.